Welcome to another Mercado Commodity Conversation, uh, the podcast where you get all the latest information. And today I'm joined by Olivia, who's up in sunny Sydney, and I'm based here in sunny Ballarat on a Friday afternoon. So for those people who are watching the weather, they will know that that's a lie. Um, I, and talking about weather, I uh, noticed our sponsor today, our partner Karawira Marinos and Karawira um, Beef Bulls, uh, posted, uh, Anthony posted a uh, picture today of him tagging lambs as they were born. And this is the latest way to start the measurement of your, um, of your stud flock. Uh, and Anthony's he's posted a photo there on Twitter saying, still smiling about lambing, the girls are doing great. And uh, well done to Karawira, they're great supporters of Mikado and we're, great, we're grateful to have them on board as well. So to, uh, to get started, we've got, there's a lot happening this week, Olivia, and uh, why don't you talk about the livestock business first? Yeah, it definitely is, Rob. Um, now, both livestock markets have really been getting a lot of pressure lately from overseas. So while the local factors here of, of low supply have kept sale yard prices very detached from the global markets for cattle, this week we saw it really play out for lamb markets. So starting on lamb, um, the major story really was that prices took a huge hit this week. And there are a few different reasons that that came, came to be. So it was the export demand that clearly it's weakened from the global slowdown and we have been talking about that for a while now. But the demand outlook for exports, it's really quite hard to get a handle on at the moment. We haven't been in this situation before and it's hard to know how the, the health recovery and the economic recovery is going to impact uh, demand overseas for our red meat products. And then the second part on top of that is that this week we've had the rising Australian dollar as well. So that's gone up to about the mid 69 US cents, which makes Australian product much more expensive for our overseas customers. And then the third part that's played into it this week uh, was a local part. And that was that uh, there were plenty of lambs that were booked up for July with processes earlier in the year already anticipating that we were going to get really tight supply and high prices at this time. So there just seems to be many more lambs than space for processing at the moment. And so what we've seen is that quite a lot of the heavy lambs which have been coming onto the market and without having that strong export market there to pick them up and processes at capacity, the demand just hasn't been there. So prices have fallen quite quickly and, and hard over the last few weeks for heavy lamb. And then this week, it's really dragged down the whole market. So the Eastern States trade lamb indicator lost 81 cents from a, a week ago, which is 9%. So that's put it back to about levels from January, which is really not a great start for the 2020-21 season for lambs. But even the, the cattle story is it's quite similar when you're looking at it from a, a macro point of view. So there's a really strong intention to rebuild with a lot of grass in areas that we haven't seen in a long time. And the demand outlook is definitely uncertain too. So our export values into the US of grinding beef have fallen a lot in the past few weeks, but, but unlike lamb markets, the sale yard cattle prices are still holding right on close to those well, nearly as high as they've ever been levels. But that uh, pressure that's coming from global cattle markets is going to continue pressing at our prices. It's just a wait and see as to how long that they can keep holding on for. 
until we start seeing an impact here. So that's that's the story for livestock this week, Rob. Well, um, I'm pleased to say that this week I've got a little bit more positive news to talk about in the wool market. Um, we saw a slight improvement this week, which was uh, better than what we've seen in the last three weeks where we've continually lost ground. And as a result of that slight improvement, we saw about an extra 4,500 bales sold to the trade. So, you know, that's a good sign, a good, good sign that demand is there. And uh, it's the first sale in the new financial year. Um, there's one more sale to go next week, and then the uh, wool industry has its traditional winter break. And there's no doubt that while this winter break is on, it's, it's always traditional that... Um, the buyers all travel overseas to uh, visit their customers. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen this year, but they'll be certainly engaging with their customers to try and develop some sort of demand and some orders so that when the market opens up again, uh, they're able to uh, operate with some sort of um, some sort of strength. We're seeing um, also uh, an article that Andrew Woods put together this week mm-hmm. where um, he noted that on the current projections of, of these increased pass-in rates and also low weekly sale rates of about 20,000 bales, the, the, by the end of this year, we will have offered about, or been able to offer up, including fresh shorn wool and wool in store, of about 2 million bales. Now, that's back to where the 10-year average has been for amount of bales that are, that are available to the trade. And remembering that that number had been falling because of the drought, but um, as we haven't been selling the wool, it means that the volume is going to increase. Now, one thing to be careful about is if you're holding wool in store, um, you need to weigh up the fact that if this continues, this pattern where the market does stay flat and growers continue to take the position to hold, that by next year, under a similar circumstance, we could have another half million bales to, to offer and that would take us back to levels that we hadn't seen since 2004-2005. Uh, remembering the, the last time we had a big increase in the stockpile though in grower stocks of wool was when we had a really big flock so not only then did we have uh, wool growers holding wool back but we had a lot of wool being shorn and that caused the market to really struggle to recover and digest that for some time. Now that won't be the case now because our flock is much lower, you know, probably about 30 or 40 million sheep less. But it's still worth keeping an eye on that we are building stocks and at some point they have to come through and be sold. The market was generally very good this week, although the fine end was better and we've seen that as a trend now and and that is related back to the drought breaking. So while, while the drought was on, we just had this oversupply of fine wool that was hunger fine wool that's starting to level out now and so fine wool premiums are starting to re-emerge a little bit and and that market is operating quite well. And the crossbred market did well. The only sector live that didn't do any good this week was the cardings and, uh, and they've been struggling for some time now. Um, and just, uh, you might have noticed, Liv, that we've now, this week we've got a new um, analyst on grain and we're very pleased to introduce and welcome Nick Booth. Now, Nick is from uh, Next Level Grain Marketing and the an interesting thing about uh, Nick is that he's based over on the Eyre Peninsula and uh, when I was speaking to Nick about the report this week, um, we, we've been talking about how good conditions are for grain growers around the country. Uh, he reminded me that in his area they are in a terrible situation and in fact 
the, um, this weather pattern that's come through and brought rain to parts of Victoria and New South Wales, actually for their area, just brought wind. And I think he said they had one or two millimetres of rain. And one of the big concerns over there in that lighter country was that um, uh, the, the soil, the light soil, was going to be blowing and, and they'd have dust problems and, and lose some of their topsoil. So look, I, uh, we welcome Nick along and uh, I encourage you to have a look at uh, not only his report this week on Mercado, but also uh, have a look at his website for the types of services that he offers. Um, the market, uh, the grain market though, is um, really just continued a downward trend and the underlying reason for that is that um, the, uh, the conditions are just continuing to be very, very strong. So in the Northern Hemisphere, harvest has started and the reports are out of the US that not only are the um, test weights good, um, but the protein levels are good as well. So that's continued to weigh on the market. Um, we'll continue to see um, stocks um, come through in a strong fashion. Uh, and of course, on the demand side, there's so much confusion. And I, um, I just point, uh, Liv, you might have some comment on this, but um, China is now sort of talking about um, uh, trying to get assurances from countries that are importing meat into the China that there's no food contamination that might influence their COVID-19 situation. So it's just another factor that's playing in on the red meat, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite an issue for the South American suppliers in particular into China. China's really stepped up their inspections of meat imports after they had a cluster in one of the wholesale food markets in Beijing. And now they're starting to test meat and seafood and, and fresh produce for virus tests, basically. And they're asking exporters as well for signed declarations to say that the produce is free of virus contamination. So that has been a major struggle for some of the South American uh, suppliers and and they've really had huge volumes going into China lately. I think in May, Brazil supplied uh, 60% of their exports went to China and Argentina, it was up at nearly 90% of their exports went to the Chinese market. So they are really facing some challenges there at the moment. Mind you, we're going to have our challenges on it for our own, even though we've got a really high quality and a product that's considered very safe. We have just triggered the import quota for Australian beef under the chapter agreement into China this week, which means that there's going to be an import duty increase from 48 to 12% on Australian beef going into China, which means that it's going to be a lot harder for us to stay competitive in that market, and especially with the Australian dollar rising and our, our cattle values and beef values where they are right now. It's going to be hard to keep that momentum that we've had over the last six months going into China. That's right. And one of the this business of um, food safety and, and you know guaranteeing that there's no contamination, it's probably going to become an increasingly important factor. And so... It puts Australia in a pretty good position, though, with our traceability and our, um, you know, our tracking of, of food security and food safety. But it must be making it more difficult for some of the countries that uh, haven't quite got the same levels of sophistication. And so uh, I'm sure that uh, our marketers will be um, pushing that point. Anyway, that's about it from me. Liv, did you have anything else that you want to finish off on? 
No, that's it from me too. Thanks, Rob. Uh, And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Commodity Conversations. As always, please, we'd love it if you could share the podcast around or let us know if you have any ideas for future conversations topics as well. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, we'll, we'll speak to you next week. Thanks. Thanks, Liv. Thank you.